Well, greetings, everybody. I'm Impressionist Jim Meskimen, and I'm delighted to be your Master of Ceremonies today for what I know will be an interesting session with some really terrific speakers. Indeed. That's what we've got. And he's here. Jim Meskimen. Welcome to WGN. Hey, well, you got my attention. Jeez, what an introduction. <laughs> you Have you ever been introduced by yourself on a radio show? Not quite in that way. No, I didn't <laughs> say that's the first. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Well, I, I hope it's okay with you that when I was describing earlier, you didn't hear it. You weren't here on hold yet. Uh, but I'll tell you, I said he's an actor who you would know if he was walking down the face, you'd say on the street, if he's walking, you'd, I know that guy. But you may if not... I was walking down your face, you would know who I was. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you're walking down the street, people say, I know him, but I may yeah. not know his name. You're, you're a character right. actor. That's, that's a wonderful I'm a character thing. actor. Yeah. Yes, I'm the, I'm the son of character actors. So I, you know, I respect the, uh, the condition, as it were. Well, <laughs> if you can't be a star, at least be a character actor. So talk to me about America's mom. Tell everyone who your mother is. She's been on the show. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, Marion Ross, uh, you may, your, your listeners may remember from Happy Days, a little show called Happy Days back in the 70s and 80s and forever after. It's, uh, it was a big change in our life when she got that job. But she'd been a working actor uh, herself for, you know, 20 or 30 years before that. And uh, she raised us as a single mom. She was a great example. She went on to become, you know, quite heralded and uh, iconic. And uh, even today, people tell me, gosh, I love your mom. Your mom raised me. That's what I hear all the time. And she hears that all the time from people that, that she raised them in that she, I guess, I guess that means that she stood in for a, an absent parent or a parent that didn't quite measure up to the standard or or whatever, I don't know. But it, it's quite an interesting thing that she achieved. And uh, we're so, we treasure her so much. She's uh, almost 94. How is she doing? She's doing fine. Thank you. Great. She sends her love. Oh, great. Please send her Chicago's love as well. So I'm watching a clip that I was sent, and, and you're in... How rude. Uh, you're supposed to be interviewing me, and you're watching clips. I, well, fine. I, you know what? I'm going on Instagram. To hell with you. <laughs> well, be careful what you say on Instagram, and if you post that clip, people will say, I'm incredibly impressed. The show is called Gaslit. It's on Stars, and it's all about the Watergate hearings, specifically about Martha Mitchell and that, that point in time that she was a whistleblower, or there were whistleblowers all around her, I guess is a better way to put it. That's Julia Roberts, of all people who play that role. Sean Penn is also in this. This is not your first time around, your first rodeo in a Richard Nixon event, is it? <laughs> no, no, I've, uh, you know, because of my uh, my age, I guess, I, I remember the Nixon years very well. I was a teenager, and uh, in these days, I do, I do Richard Nixon's voice for various projects. Uh, I did it recently for a very funny podcast called uh, Space 1969. And I've done it for the show uh, at uh, Timeless, and uh, uh, also uh, uh, what's the other shows? There's an Apple show about uh, oh, for all mankind. I've wound up doing Nixon quite a lot for all mankind. And I was in Ron Howard's Frost Nixon, where I was part of the Nixon team under under Frank Langella, who played Nixon at the time. And now I'm uh, in the Gaslit, where we're 
we're trying to bring Nixon down. I was supposed to do Nixon's voice for it uh, as well uh, in some uh, in some scenes, but uh, wiser minds prevailed, and they wound up using archival recordings, of which there are, as we know, far too many. So uh, <laughs> I think that was a good choice. <clears throat> well, what was it like to... First of all, kind of go back in time. Uh, you know, so as, as, uh, here's what I mean. I was watching these clips, and by the way, our phone number, 312-981-7200. If you have questions, you can call or text, of course, and talk with Jim Meskimen. That's who I'm talking with. And I certainly thought, oh, yeah, I remember that part. I remember that part. Are there any, as the story unfolds, it's very different than what's going on today, but, you know, as I was watching even just the clips, I, I said to myself, and I do talk to myself periodically, I, I, I said, there are some similarities to what's happening today. And then what did you say to yourself? I said, I need to ask Jim about this. <laughs> and then I said, yeah, of course. Well, you know, the basic, uh, I think anybody who's been around long enough and can see the cyclical nature of of political woes and uh, the ups and downs of, of cultures, you know, recognizes that these things are cyclical and, and they don't always come from the same types of individuals, but there is a sort of a, a mankind problem. I would say it is a general human being problem of corruption and how to handle it. And, you know, the people that are uh, uh, sometimes in power are very corrupt and uh, somebody has to make order out of it. Now, I think that people are all basically good. So eventually, it, it does get cleaned up uh, and exposed, and the, the truth will out. And I think that's what projects like Gaslit are great for, because they show you another viewpoint on it. We can communicate with it. We can look at it from uh, the viewpoint of, of history and uh, make our own determination. That's, that's another great thing about art. You know, we can, we can sort of make up our minds and, and um, gather opinions that way. So when when a movie like this is being made, I'm curious. It's not a documentary. It's it's a movie. So not at all. Not at all. How much? So how much license is taken? Do you think? I, I it's oh, a silly question a because you weren't there. Uh, is it a lot? A, a lot. Yeah, absolutely a lot. It's it's you know they use the historical references. They use biographies of uh, like Gordon Liddy, for example, is written extensively, and most of the principles. Uh, of that time, uh, John Dean, uh, even Nixon, they all, they all wrote biographies. They all wrote their version of it. But, you know, somebody has to go and pick and choose and say, well, this is pertinent and this is, isn't, or this is reliable and this isn't, or this is dramatic and fun and has great storytelling and, and uh, theatrical possibilities, and, and this isn't, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of pick and choose. Imagine the theatrical possibilities 10 years from now about everything going on today. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, really. Yeah. So, so what was it like working with Julia Roberts? Oh, it was it was very pleasant. I mean, uh, we were uh, I was interrogating her as Senator Gurney and giving her a hard time, and uh, and she was holding her own. Uh, we were separated by by quite a distance, <laughs> so uh, we weren't exactly in each other's laps. But uh, well, I, that's I, you know, unfortunate. She, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Those are the breaks. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, the director is a guy named Matt Ross, and you should uh, keep his name on file because I think he's really he's really going to just continue to excel. All the directing he did was was fantastic, and I was just really pleased to work with him. Uh, he's an actor himself, and so like Ron Howard, 
uh, like my friend Ron Howard, who I've worked for in uh, five pictures. Uh, you know, he, he knows what to tell you so that you, uh, he doesn't waste a lot of words, you know. It's very uh, quick, uh, quick communication between those, those two people. And Matt's the same way, so it was cool. I have a hunch, but by the time we're done with this interview, I will have interviewed like 12 people, which is not a bad thing. So, yes, well, and you, have, you haven't even gotten to the Brits yet, so let's, <laughs> let's move it along. I'm moving it along. I'm trying. I'm trying. Sean Penn was also in this movie. It seems that you talk about, first of all, do you make movies depending on who a, the cast member is, and then you can do impressions of those people? Yes, that you figured it out. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I only accept work. <laughs> only accept work from people that will later pad my one-man show. That's otherwise, I'm not interested. If you can't do an impression of him, so how about Sean Penn? It seems there's no in, more intense an actor to work with. You know, he's very focused. He's very serious, but he's also very playful. And I had a great, great afternoon working with him. Uh, we were working together on a golf course. We did get to get fairly, fairly close. You know, we, I could hear him whisper, you know, and uh, we had a very nice scene together. Yep. And uh, it's interesting. I, I, when I first met him, of course, he's under a lot of prosthetic makeup designed brilliantly by Kazuhiro. And uh, it was the guy that did uh, the Winston Churchill makeup on Gary Oldman. Well, you wouldn't even recognize him as Sean Penn. Well, that's that's my point. When I met him, he came up to me uh, in the room that we were waiting in, and he said, hey, I'm Sean. <laughs> and I said, if you say so, because there was no evidence. Uh, really, you had to just look at him in the eyes and, and kind of figure out that it was Sean Penn. But all the physical clues were askew. And uh, it was nice for me because I found I, I didn't probably get as starstruck and nervous as I would have been uh, because as far as I was concerned, Sean Penn hadn't entered the room yet. All right, so when we come back from a break, I want to know the actor you've worked with that you were most starstruck by. I also want to talk about Phil Donahue. That's right, Phil Donahue. All of that when we come back with Jim Meskimen on WGN. Talking to Jim Meskimen, Jim, uh, this story is just, this is a news story. I want to read it to you. A, okay. rest, a restaurant created by KFC founder Harlan Sanders for his wife decades ago is now for sale. Claudia Sanders' dinner house in Shelbyville, Kentucky, hit the market, citing a statement from the listing agents describing the nearly 25,000-foot restaurant and banquet hall. It's for sa- Are you looking at buying this? Well, now that you mention it, I, I had not read that article, but that's, that's something I'm going to get my business people to jump on, for sure. How that did you... be a nice, uh, nice piece of real estate, I reckon, there, uh, Steve. How did you... Did you ever meet the guy, Harlan Sanders, who played... Who really was? He didn't play any, but that was him! No, he wasn't He wasn't playing around. No! no. That was him. I never had the honor. Never had the honor to meet him, but of course, when I grew up, he was doing his own advertising, his own commercials, and so... When the opportunity came up to audition for that role to to do the voice, mind you, I don't I don't physicalize uh, the colonel. We're we're rather different physical types, but but I do his voice rather well, and I remember it very vividly. So uh, it was a pretty pretty easy jump for me to to translate into into that particular role. And I, I've been doing it now for about six years. How does it happen? Where I mean, as a teenager, did you begin to? That kid in school sounds like this, so I'm going to sound like this. I mean, how do you begin doing impersonations? Yeah, you know, like a lot of stand-up comics, which I, I'm, I'm not, but a lot of stand-up comics say that they, they learned how to make their their uh, fellow students laugh, and they imitated their teachers. I certainly imitated my teachers. 
And you do that, I think, as a kind of a self-preservation <laughs> uh, technique more than anything else, because you kind of have to put up with whatever they say and do what they say and listen to them all day long. So it's nice to have a, the release of being able to switch switch chairs, if, as you were, as it were, and and, uh, and talk like them for a while. It, it, not to their face, probably that doesn't work, but uh, at least on your off hours on the recess field where you're you're with your chums. So uh, yeah, when I was a teenager, and then I didn't really take it seriously or think that it was going to be my life path. Uh, particularly, I, I originally I was going to be a cartoonist, hmm. and that was what I really liked. Uh, and I still do some cartooning today, and I did it professionally for a while. But uh, so I I didn't think, wow, I'm going to be like Rich Little. I'm going to have a a Vegas gig, and I'm going to put on a powder blue tuxedo and really <laughs> live that life. <laughs> who is your favorite? Who was your favorite teacher to imitate? And and what did he or she sound like? Uh, we had a teacher, a shop teacher named Mr. Fackler, Dave Fackler, and he, he had a big beard. He's kind of a hippie at the time, and uh, he said, okay, guys, uh, shut up a minute. I'm going to talk to you about uh, this printing press here. You sound exactly fleshy, like Mr. Mouth guy. You sound exactly. Yeah, you, I, you nailed it. That is Mr. Fackler, if I've ever heard Mr. <laughs> Fackler. Uh, well, now, now you've heard it. I've so, heard uh, it. So uh, I, I teased that you would tell me the actor that maybe you were most in awe of that you've worked with. You've worked with so many. Yeah, I have. I, I have to say, I've always had a very special place in my heart for the actor George C. Scott. Mm. And uh, my father had acted in a play with him on Broadway before I was born, just before I was born. And uh, so he had kind of called my attention to George C. Scott's performances early on in my life in movies. You say, that's George C. Scott. That's the guy I worked with. And I began to appreciate what a, what a, what a fantastic actor George C. Scott was. And uh, so I had the opportunity to work in a movie with George C. Scott. Wow. What, uh, what, what it was movie? The last, it was the last movie that he ever, uh, that he ever did. It was uh, Inherit the Wind, the version of Inherit the Wind with Jack Lemmon that he did for uh, Showtime. Yes, indeed. And uh, it was, I had seen him on Broadway by that point. I'd actually met him before. I went backstage one time to, you know, congratulate him and just to meet him. And then uh, he was always very generous and gracious. And uh, and working with him was just a a tremendous pleasure, both because it was an echo of what my father had experienced working on stage in a courtroom drama, as I did. (laughs) My dad's play was a courtroom drama, too. And uh, just to watch him every day, work with full commitment, although essentially he was a dying man, uh, was extraordinarily inspiring. Hmm. Jack Lemmon, too. And he also been. told a lot of dirty jokes in between. Did he really? Oh, uh, it was a 360-degree experience. And Jack Lemmon as well? And, and Jack Lemmon as well, who was, uh, by that time, uh, very uh, daughtery, but uh, a tremendous uh, performer. <laughs> and I, I have to say, he couldn't remember his lines like George did. And uh, he did a lot of uh, retakes. Oh, really? Uh, we're from, I'm in Chicago, WGN Radio Chicago, the home of Phil Donahue. Uh, what does, yep. why am I asking you about Phil Donahue? Well, Steve, I can only imagine it's because. I just uh, performed as as Phil Donahue. I did my. Uh, it'll be an appearance on a show called. Uh, uh, with, it's called what was it called the Untitled Chippendales Project. And I believe they do have a title now, but it has Chippendales in it. God knows what it's been called at this point. But um, I got to portray Phil Donahue and be in a room full of 
you know, women that were grasping at half-naked men's buns. <laughs> and you must have gotten a lot of steps also, because he, I, as I recall, he had that long, skinny microphone, and he used to run up and down the steps saying, your question, your question. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Boy, he was he was the man in uh, in daytime chat shows, wasn't he? Yeah, and still, I mean, frankly, if you if you actually watch those shows, and I didn't at that time, but I've seen reruns. He was a very good interviewer, and you know what made him a good interviewer? I think is he would ask questions. I tried to do this too, actually. Not that I'm in anywhere near the same league. The questions that people would want to know. So, what makes for a great actor? Oh, wow. That's a hard right. Um, yeah. I think a great actor is someone uh, who can uh, create a, a unique and a memorable character that is convincing enough to make the audience feel like they understand his experience. And, uh, gosh, we have so many great actors. Uh, I, 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 I think that actors are somewhat eclipsed sometimes by the... Uh, the reputation of Hollywood, uh, you know, the bad examples and the bad behavior and stuff like that, which is totally separate from what a person's talent is like and what they what they can bring and manifest. And um, I'm always inspired by by really great performances. And uh, I've got I've had the chance to work with some really terrific actors. I've worked with Tom Hanks. I've worked with Matthew McConaughey. I've worked with Ed Harris. I worked uh, with Ed Harris on Apollo 13. And uh you know, we didn't lose a man on his watch. Well, uh, I don't want to lose. Experience. I don't want to lose a man on my watch either, or be late to the news, which is why I'm cutting you short. But Jim Meskimen, um, gratitude in- infinitely for you taking time out on a Sunday afternoon to join us. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks so much. Thank you.